0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, Greetings and welcome to the
1: Capital Weekly Podcast. And I'm John Howard, and I'm joined by Jim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And by Paul Mitchell, uh, campaign strategist extraordinaire, data cruncher, What's the best title here, VP of
2: political? My favorite one that was never used in a publication was the District Whisperer. <laughs> a reporter promised me they would use that in an article. But uh, yeah, just i the vice president of political data. A lot of people know that. And a lot of people know uh, that I ran redistricting partners, doing redistricting no, and, and a lot of local municipal redistricting. And I just got back from New York.
1: Oh, uh, New York. Well, I was going to ask you, actually, about New York and Pat Ryan and how that race plays out. What's it really mean? is, is New York goes, so goes New York, is the old
2: Queen. Exactly. Go? As uh, West Side and East Side Manhattan goes, so go the middle of Manhattan. Um, the uh, We're doing the redistricting for the city council, actually, in New York. So, um, yeah, fun stuff.
1: So how would you uh, just roughly compare New York politics with California politics?
2: Oh, it's really interesting. Um, I have this theory uh, that if you take Sacramento and it's like political cast of characters, you know, like you've got your obviously legislators, you've got your big power lobbyists, you've got your Dan Weitzman over the top fundraiser, you've got your, you know, uh, kind of goofy uh, uh, kind of cast of characters, you've got your uh, Irwin uh, kind of characters, <laughs> you go down to the city of LA and it's the same people just different people filling those same character spots and you go to New York and it's the same thing. It's just different people filling those different character spots. So, um,
1: York 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 is so densely populated. I just think of it as block politics and block chiefs and, you know, the old fashioned machine, you know, but yeah, I don't
2: know as much about New York politics, even though I've done the redistricting stuff in New York for the state and for, um, the city. Uh, I did, do a bike race in new york city and there was a lot less yelling in new york bike races than there are in california bike races so maybe that's something i don't know i expected to go the other way actually (laughs) yeah i thought there'd be a lot of yelling there was like not much yelling at all i was pretty surprised
1: hey tim you're tim you're gonna say something what was i think i might have cut you off or
0: verbal or something i was just asking who is the new york irwin
2: Oh, I don't know. You have to find these people. They don't just show up at the metro. So wait, that... so
0: you're saying I need to figure out who the New York Alex Vassar is so I can figure out who the New York-
2: 100%. Yeah, is. I might have met the New York Alex Vassar, but, uh, or at least a version of that. But yeah, it's the exact same thing. Oh, cool.
1: Hey, I had a couple questions about our primary that struck me. I was reading a PPIC analysis. I mentioned a couple things. One was that the turnout, somewhere around 33, 34% in the primary, which is pretty good. And as it noted, that, you know, one thing that drove, even though we've had lousy primary turnouts, at, at one point in the past, we had ballot initiatives appear on the primary elections, and that may have helped drive turnout. This time, we, we don't have that this time, and we haven't for a few years. And yet we have pretty good turnout. The other thing was that in the statewide primary races, the, the winners were Democrats or Republicans, but they weren't no-party preference. No, no party preference did not. He got outperformed by the Dems and the Reaps. Um, I thought that was surprising. What? How does that strike you?
2: Yeah, well, we've looked a little bit at turnout. And, you know, I love Eric McGee's stuff, obviously. He's great. Um, and PPIC is great. Um, it's right that turnout was 33% uh, statewide. Um, you know, when we look at partisan breakdowns in turnout, it was a little bit interesting that, uh, the share of the vote that came from Republicans was at historic lows. Um, only 29% of voters that we turned to ballot were Republican. That's higher than their rate of registration, but we always expect their turnout to be higher than their rate of registration. We we'll always expect them to perform. In the two, in the 2010 uh, primary, they were at 41% turnout. In uh, 2018, they were at 31% turnout. In this election, they were only 29. So that's pretty. Surprising, their turnout was so low um, as a share of the total votes cast. Um, some of the other stuff that we saw in the data, you know, Latinos turned out at a lower rate than I kind of would have expected them. They were only 16% of ballots cast, even though they're 27% of the electorate. Um, and the same stuff with like young people, totally underperforming. Only 8% turnout for 18 to 29 year olds. Uh, you know, or they were only 8% of the electorate. Um, they were 14% turnout. Uh, and then when you go to the higher end of the electorate, the older voters, uh, you know, seniors were at 60% turnout. Um, so so what's with the younger voters? I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, what's with them?
1: I mean, do we need a good war and a draft or something to get them energized or what?
2: Well, young voters are interesting. Um you know, they're more transient. So they're move more. Um, that used to have a big impact on their voter registration. Like can they get split away from their voter registration. And, you know, nowadays they should be getting automatic voter re-registration when they move. And so that should be less of a problem, but still they turn out in low rates. Uh-huh. Um, there's some analysis. I was just talking with some folks about analysis that shows that those who are actually on college campuses do get a lot higher turnout than those who are kind of just general 18, 24 year olds or 18, 29 year olds around the, around the state. Um, young people are gonna be more likely to be independents. Independents are also lower turnout because they're just not as wed to like thinking the primary is something they need to futz around with. Um, like I think was mentioned, there's analysis showing that the lack of ballot measures on a primary ballot uh, could be further weakening turnout. The reason ballot measures aren't on the primary ballot is just because they were so low turnout that you know the legislators were concerned that people would put ballot measures up they would get amendments to the state constitution uh, in an election where you know less than a third of the people vote so moving all those ballot measures to the general was intended to try to make them so that you'll have a larger share of the electorate but they also could have had the impact of you know removing a lot of reason for people to show up and vote in primaries so um, yeah I mean it's these numbers are pretty, Mm -hmm. you know uh uh consistent with what we've seen in the past there are a lot of
1: people that showed up i guess uh, the turnout was quite high quite a bit above the primary turnout for the recall election
2: yeah the recall election was you know over 60 percent turnout so that was a big election there was one of the things that we know in turnout is that it's driven by mechanics like do you have an easy process of registering? Is it easy for you to vote? You know, all this kind of stuff. And it's turned out by these more organic things around enthusiasm. And in the general election or in the recall election, the governor's campaign was really, really, really effective at trying to give messages to voters. they like, hey, the future of the state is at risk, you know, maybe the future of the country, because we're talking about, you know, a a challenger who was kind of the leading challenger against Newsom, who was very kind of Trump tied. So he was able to get people motivated to turn out because like, you know, something really mattered that was happening. You know, when you're saying like, oh, my God, we have to turn out because we want to really impact who's the second place candidate in the insurance commissioner's race. That's not going to like get so many people excited. Um, So uh, I think that's what lended towards the lower turnout in this gubernatorial primary, is that either A, voters think, well, I'll let the partisans figure that out, I'll worry about it in the general, or B, there's just nothing in this election that really makes you think like, hey, the future of the country's at stake. Now, does that change in November? I think that's a question we need to think about.
1: Well, as you look towards November right now, do you see anything any trends right now in California developing say in terms of our congressional delegation, the split, the, we basically saying the same um, are there any surprises out there that you can, that are popping up right now. Do you think?
2: Well, um, so when I've talked about this coming November general for months and months and months, I've been saying that the number one issue going into November is, you know, what, is the election going to be about like if you think of the playing field there's a democratic side of the playing field and a republican side of the playing field are we going to be in an election that's going to be a debate about the issues that are the republican side of the playing field inflation gas prices biden's low popularity you know all this stuff um or are we going to be in a fight and a national focus on things the democratic side of the playing field uh, Roe v Wade over, being overturned, which I used to get eye rolls when I would say that six months ago. Right. Um, you know, Trump talking about running for reelection and making himself kind of an issue is really uh, a gift to Democrats. And whatever else, environment, uh, education, uh, those kind of issues can be better democratic turf for November. And if we'd had the general election in January, It was all Republican turf at that time. Um, And Mm -hmm. if things keep going the way they're going, we're starting to see this election be more um, fought on friendly democratic turf, where, you know, if you're Kamala Harris coming out to California to come campaign for competitive congressional districts and you're getting hit for gas prices, Biden, Ukraine, inflation, that's not a fun, pleasant visit, and probably doesn't do a lot to prop up the candidates that you're promoting. If you're Kamala Harris and you come out to Katie Porter's district, and it's about uh, Roe v. Wade and Supreme Court, and you know something crazy Trump said, then that's probably a f- pretty fun event and probably does do things to help spike Democratic turnout. So um, you know, I think that that stage setting for November is probably the most important thing to be watching. So we just had
0: a series of primaries on Tuesday. We're recording this on Thursday and the Dems overperformed what they had been expected to do uh, back in New York and in some other Florida, some other places. Can you talk about that? Is that evidence for what you're seeing about this uh, lack of a red wave coming into November and how that might play out in California, specifically like in some of the tighter house districts?
2: Yeah, so I think again, this speaks to the idea that um, Democrats are getting on better footing. Um, They're walking into an election cycle that just the questions being asked are ones that Democrats want to answer. Um, uh, The Kansas decision around abortion was surprising in how much both the number of, uh, you know, how much that ballot measure uh, uh, lost by and also um, uh, the amount of independence that turned out in that election when they really didn't have anybody to vote for because it was closed primaries on both sides. I guess there was some way they could have participated in the primary, but there were tons of independent voters that only showed up for that ballot measure. Um, I think those are potentially great signs for Democrats. Looking at the races we just had, um, a lot of what was really being figured out like in New York had to do with redistricting and intraparty, you know, warfare with, uh, um, uh, Nadler and Maloney as an example in Manhattan being paired together in that new congressional district. And, uh, Sean Patrick Malone, uh, Maloney being put into a district with, uh, an AOC back candidate. So that stuff isn't going to really tell us much about what's going to happen in, in November. Um, but, I'd really look at like where independents are going and where that turnout's going. One of the things that was a misnomer about 2018 was like, oh, look at Katie Porter, Cisneros, Ruta, these Orange County districts where Democrats picked up all these seats. That must have been a real spike in Democratic turnout. Uh, The bigger impact was actually the independents. The independents, you know, being freaked out about Trump in that midterm election And voting for Democrats uh, was a bigger issue and had more to do with that election in 2018 than simply more Democrats voting. And that could be kind of what we're looking for in the 2022 general is whether or not those independents are going to turn out and if those independents are going to be voting Democratic.
1: How do they normally turn out? I mean, over time, over, say, the last two or three elections, how how do the independents normally show up?
2: They always underperform. Um, They're always going to underperform the partisan voters Um, in a way like there's a self-selection bias when you are registering to vote. If you're saying I'm a Democrat or Republican, you're immediately saying that I'm a little bit more engaged probably than like somebody who just checks the box of, you know, it used to be declined to state. Now it's no party preference. Um, So there's there's that part of it. There's also the part of it that independent voters are more often to be minority, young and renters. And those are all groups that have lower turnout. Um, So independents are a big part of what they call the surge electorate, meaning like as we go from a traditional gubernatorial election with like, let's say the floor is like 48% turnout and we go up to 55 or 58 or 62% or 65% turnout, that increased portion is going to be really dominated by a lot of those kind of independent voters and voters who are showing up for like an issue or something where they feel, like I said earlier, like the future of the country's at stake. Um so. and they're the
1: hardest to reach, right? In terms of getting your message if you're doing a campaign, getting your message to them, getting mailers, email whatever it takes,
2: they're moving. Yeah, I mean the them. only way to reach those voters is with lawn signs. Um <laughs> cause, cause that is sponsored by Matt Rexroad. Yeah, Matt, uh, but, no, the those young voters, uh, the independent voters, the ones that vote less frequently are harder to target um, and they can be more expensive to reach. And you do need to get at them with digital and ads on their YouTube and, you know, text messages and, you know, multiple modes of outreach. They're not, not just even like, young and
0: God, I've seen nothing but political ads on YouTube you know, oh, yeah, that's
2: been the most popular and growing place where political dollars are going. I is. really
0: want to find out where the ad dollars are going on the on the yeah. ballot. I mean, <laughs> on issues for gambling. Just look at YouTube.
2: Yeah, no. I got definitely. a question.
1: Why are lawn signs bad? I love lawn signs.
0: I, I like it. to see
1: them in the neighborhood. I, I like to see what my neighbors are thinking. You know, if so, I, I remember seeing a couple Trump signs, but <laughs> But you know, I know I like seeing the names pop up, and they're candidates I forgot all about till I see somebody's lawn sign in the middle of a.
2: So, what so, what's the problem with lawn signs? Um, so, first off, <laughs> lawn signs um, aren't all entirely bad. If you think about what your job is when you're a candidate or you're an issue, um, especially when you're a candidate, when you're a candidate, you want people to know your name, right? You need to create a spot in their brain for your name. You need something that gets that, and it can be just a broadcast. You need uh, to persuade. You need people who you're able to tell them, I'm good for this issue you care about, and that's why you should vote for me and get them to vote for you. And you need voters to get turned out. You need to find your voters who are your supporters and turn them out. And all three of those things can be approached by different means. Nobody turned out because of a lawn sign. Nobody's ever been persuaded by a lawn sign, but lawn signs can be used to like build your name recognition or build your name ID a little bit. Um, The, you know, mail is great for persuasion, digital and those YouTube ads can be great for persuasion but they're not gonna do a lot for turnout. Text messages actually can be helpful for turnout, knocking on doors, driving people to polls, delivering their ballots for them, all those things are turnout mechanisms but campaigns need to understand what's what. And like if somebody does a lawn sign and they say, you know, Tim Foster for school board, the best candidate for charter schools and like supports uh, whatever, and has all these issues on their lawn sign. they're missing the point. The point is Tim Foster school board, none of that other junk because it's not a persuasion tool. It's not a turnout tool. And so like if people keep the different modes of campaign tools in the right buckets, I'm not offended by kind of any of these things uh, on the face of it. It's that lawn signs are overrated in terms of their effectiveness and candidates when you are running a campaign, they love seeing their lawn signs. Cause like they see them you know, on their drive to the airport or whatever. They That's think why that you take them on sa- a
1: tour of the neighborhood with the lawn signs.
2: Yeah. There's a picture on Twitter of Matt Gates standing in the street, holding a lawn, <laughs> lawn sign over his head, like lawn signs don't impact turnout. They don't persuade voters. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're like running for water district and you have no money for anything else and you can put up lawn signs and, and, you know, signs in the neighborhood, and people remember your name, then that's great. If a candidate named Paul Mitchell runs for office, the name recognition isn't the problem, right? A, like, a
1: dramatic name helps. Like, like yeah, there was a rock band. I remember Tim told me one time there was a rock band, had the best name of all. Their name was Free Beer. <laughs> 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 they had a great turnout. Yeah. You know? So if you got a dramatic name, I don't know, like, you know, Kojak or, you know,
2: Yeah. So one of my favorite politicals, Marty Block was running for the assembly for the first time. And I went down to his campaign office and he's like, hey, Paul, I got to show you this. I got to show you this. And he takes me out to his car and in his trunk is a Marty Block sign on a post. And underneath it is a. it says it's me. And there's an arrow pointing down and you would hold it up in his neighborhood. He's like, I got to go in my neighborhood and hold up the sign because people love this. I'm like, Marty, if they love it and they're in your neighborhood, why are you? there every every day it's you're did not converting yeah. any voters you're not persuading anybody get back on the phone and, and like make fundraising calls don't well and the other even, part is if someone took that thing and then actually
0: planted it in their lawn it looks like he's dead like marty block i'm buried here
2: the the one <laughs> thing we have to recognize though is um uh senator josh newman who won his election in a surprise win and what was his uh what was his shtick do you remember that
1: no Oh, dressed, wait, up he, a he's dressed up in a bear yeah, costume?
2: Yeah, you're right. Dressed up in a bear costume. So uh, you can't you can't dismiss like, you know, maybe some of these strategies really do yeah, work. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we look at uh, Davin Newsom, his political, his, there are a lot of her right now, political issues, but one of the favorite topics of speculation now is uh, his presidential aspirations. And so, you know, clearly he's trying to build a national profile of sorts. And now more people are speculating about it. Uh, But there are a lot of obstacles for him to get out there and actually be on. One, he's got an incumbent president who's the same party. He's going to have to say adios for whatever reason. And he's got Kamala Harris, who he endorsed earlier, uh, is probably the likely presidential contender as vice president until something happens to her. They've got flawed records, both of them. But so now there's Newsom out there looking around. What do you think?
2: Well, it's funny. I was in D.C. for a week and I don't think, you know, I met anybody in D.C. who didn't say like, is Gavin Newsom really running for president? Um, It was like the talk of the town in D.C. at least. when I already hear he was- you
0: were meeting with Kamala Harris. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, and you're right. Like he would have to Robert Garcia, this thing. And by Robert Garcia, this thing, I mean, Robert Garcia is the only person I ever know who you know, uh, had two incumbents resign in order for him to be able to run for an open congressional seat. Uh, uh, Gavin would have to have, obviously, uh, the president announced that he's not running for re-election, and then somehow Kamala deciding that she's not going to run for him to be able to have a lane. But I always think that when these things happen, when you see things like Gavin's spending or his strategies, you know, the what's the most common sense answer to all of this? And to me, the most common sense answer is if, some, if Gavin came to me and said, hey, my polling says that uh, voters in California, they want a Democrat who's going to fight Republicans in power, punch them in the nose. And uh, I've got $500,000, what should I do? Be like, is the answer punch Brian Dolly in the nose? Like, who's going to care about that? You go to the biggest Republican on the on the schoolyard and you go punch him in the nose. And uh, that's what he's doing. He's going out there and he's he's building the Gavin Newsom brand. He's doing it, I believe, to the benefit of his own California political, uh, you know, popularity. Um, it's a most effective way for him to stay leagues ahead of Brian Dolly in the governor's race is to kind of build this brand. And it's the media just do it up. Huh?
1: Pretty, it's pretty cost effective, too, isn't it? I so mean, cost,
2: it's the best way to spend a half million dollars. If he'd done a half million dollars of cable ads or lawn signs in the Central Valley, it wouldn't have made a blip. But he does this. All of a sudden, all the reporters are talking about him. They're saying, like, ooh, Gavin Newsom, like, he's punching these powerful Republicans. And why is he doing that? And it's like a cons- the, the reporters are amplifying the message that Gavin wants amplified, which is he's a Democrat that wants to fight powerful Republicans and you know, it's so I think the, re, I think the reporters who are like, Ooh, there's nothing, no answer to this other than Gavin's running for president are kind of missing the fact that they're being, you know, uh, used to amplify this message. The message yeah. it up Like you talked about earlier that this is the doldrums of the summer. What better time to give red yeah. meat to these reporters yeah. and just give them a story to sell. And what better message to go to, you know despondent democrats in california uh than to say like hey you want a democrat that's going to fight like i'm punching everybody
1: well as they say use us and abuse us you know it's part sure. of the game so what happened so suppose uh you're looking at the field right now what others wh- who else is out there you hear about sherrod brown i do in conversation and you hear about Tammy duckworth maybe
2: uh, I just finished the, um, or I'm almost finished with the Chris Smith uh, uh, book, Judge's uh, press secretary, um, and uh, that I think Buttigieg would be a real candidate, but also he's got a he's got an issue um, with it's Liz Smith, obviously uh, Liz Smith's book. Uh, uh-huh. Buttigieg has an issue with uh, him also being in the administration. And, uh, you know, yeah. he's kind of kind of caught Kamala Harris in his way as well. Um, but I think he'd be a, a great front runner oh. if uh, if it was an open field.
1: Do you think that uh, as we've all assumed that Newsom walks away with a landslide this, this November? Is there actually a fight out there uh, on, in the governor's race? Does he have any problem with reelection?
2: The governor? Problem with the reelection? Not at all. Okay. No. Not at all.
1: Okay. I mean, I don't
2: think there's anything. That is on the horizon. That's going to impact Gavin. I think he's going to have a great reelection. He's really timed, you know, his peaks in popularity around the recall election and now again in the uh, in this general. So um, he's in a great position politically. Um, on the rest of the ballot, I think a lot of people are looking at like Chen and whether or not he can, uh, you know, be a Republican on the, in the controller's race so that can make it into. Uh, you know, can, can win, but I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's you, close. Yeah, Gary, Cal- the cards. Gary
0: South, I think is tweaking him about every 35 I, minutes on Twitter saying I, 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 you're going to lose by 20 points guy. Yeah. But yeah. so so in that race, who did
1: the Democrats get behind? Chen got what? 37, 38% of the vote. The four Dems, the others between them split 60% or something. But who's the main candidate among them to dump Chen? Who's the main? Well, Malia
2: Cohen's the nominee and she's going to just crush Chen, it could be they could misprint all the ballots and put, you know, Gomer Pyle's name for and put a D next to it, and that per, Gomer Pyle would beat the beat, you know, Chen. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that is he is kind of like the perfect Republican candidate in some ways, in that he is not just some old white guy, he's not some perennial candidate that we've seen run on the Republican side before um He's not uber conservative, um, and uh, he's running in an office that's kind of fiscal, and and people don't really know what it is, so they're not really concerned about it, like affecting core democratic issues much. Yeah. But even then, I think I hate saying it, but I gotta agree with Gary South on that one. Yeah,
1: okay.
2: I'm joking about hate saying it. Respect.
1: Uh, Paul Mitchell, thank you so much. did you have anything you want to add? Any last uh, word of wisdom for our vast audience of listeners?
2: Uh, no, you know, uh, I think that I'm, I'm looking forward to getting through this election. It's going to be fun to watch the impact of the redistricting on, uh, these congressional legislative races and also on local government races, where we're going to start seeing the impacts of those, those redistrictings that happened. Um, and then I'm looking forward to being able to breathe after this November election, but until then we'll be doing a lot of, uh, uh, modeling stuff we're going to be coming out with at PDI we just did I guess I can announce it here we just did an abortion model that's going to be in the PDI for all of our clients that's really interesting um, other partisanship and ideology modeling stuff we're working on um,
1: are you doing anything on the ballot props
2: we're gonna do we're gonna do some polling on the ballot props um, and it just depends on how we're gonna or if we're going to kind of present that polling uh, before the election, yeah. um, and uh, and then we'll be doing tracking the absentee ballots again. Uh, I feel personally that Republicans underperformed in the primary in part because they were had this hesitancy to vote by mail and hesitancy to use the kind of easiest method of voting. And um, so I think it had the impact of kind of suppressing their turnout. We're going to want to watch in November if this continues, this, this really, really, really um, uh, dumb strategy of discouraging Republicans from trusting the voting system and trusting the vote by mail system. It's, it's political malpractice. And uh, at some point somewhere it should bite them where they end up losing an election that they should have won because they've been messaging to their own voters that you can't trust voting um, or you can't trust voting through this super easy way of mailing a ballot in. Um, So we'll watch for that in the general election too.
1: Great. Paul Mitchell, thank you very much. Tim Foster, did you have anything you wanted to throw in there?
2: Uh, Well, it's been about
0: a year since uh, Scott Lay passed and you you were Scott's best friend You were very close to him. You helped set up the scholarship in his name. Uh, Any thoughts as we as we approach the one year anniversary of of the passing of Scott Lay?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have had tragedies in their own lives and lost people, and so they understand what it's like. But you know, there are times where something happens, and I think to myself, "Oh, Scott's going to love this," and it you know jolts you right back into reality, and and I'm still you know really sad about Scott's passing. Um, we did do that scholarship for him, uh, raised $50,000 for an ongoing scholarship at Orange Coast. I was able to go down there in May and give out that scholarship to a student. Uh, it's going to be every year. So there's going to be students receiving this scholarship kind of in perpetuity. Uh, Um, but that first, uh, student, uh, giving her that scholarship meant a lot, um, uh, Alex Vassar tweeted, we mentioned him earlier. He's gotten two shout outs on this podcast, but uh, Alex uh, suggested the legislature should adjourn in memory of Scott for this session. And I think that that would be uh, fabulous. So my thoughts are still continually with Scott. There's so much that's been happening where I think to myself, what would Scott think or what would Scott be doing? Um, And uh, um, so, yeah, he's still missed. I still get messages from friends saying that, you know, it's a bummer that Scott's not around to see this or or maybe selfishly they're saying it's a bummer that Scott's not around to tell me what's happening with this issue or to create a spreadsheet of that thing. You know,
0: yeah, yeah I think I honestly think that at least once a week, uh, you know, as we're going through you know the political news and uh, just think, oh, what would Scott make of this or, you know, what would he what would his take be on this or or just wishing he could weigh in?
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, and some of the stuff I never could figure out that scott did i never understood how he got uh whatever he wanted at the top of the google search <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> i don't know how he did it but he did it consistently did it at one point i remember for a couple of months he was number two if you did a search for election campaign finance or election tracking or uh, some other outfit came up but his was number two and at the time he had about nine viewers and this other person had about a thousand two thousand but he swapped, he managed to swap that out. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know how it is to this day. I don't know. Then he he automated his own campaign finance tracking user, using the Secretary of State's website, um, using their data, which I thought was pretty amazing too. So
2: yeah, he had a, he had a love for this stuff and he yeah. had a love for um, kind of some of the nerdier aspects and trying to figure out tools to make things work. He would like when normal people are faced with a challenge, like, how am I going to track this bill? Um, you know, they try to find somebody that can do it. They try to look for a service and Scott would be like, okay, let's pull up the, open up the hood and let's figure (laughs) out how to do this. And he'd figure out ways to do it. Then he'd replicate those ways. Then he'd provide those tools to everybody else for free. And he did that repeatedly. And, um, there are a lot of things that I see out there that are like services that people subscribe to or whatever around the Capitol. And I say to myself, well, Whoever invented that basically just took Scott's ideas and and totally. professionalized them, you know
1: yeah, totally yeah he did a, he did the roundup that we still do in basically the same format he did it in uh, he and Anthony shared it and uh, yeah. it it's pretty cool and it just endures and uh, if we just get it out on time now, that would be good but the, the whole thing is the same it's the same vision that he had fifteen years ago, seventeen years ago,
0: you know. What would he have thought about the micro deal? I mean, it's something that he probably wrote about his entire career and even before he really was
2: professional. I'm glad you mentioned the micro deal. You know, that's one of those things that, you know, it was such a big thing in California politics the entire time that I've been in California. My first job in Sacramento was in 1998 as a staffer for CMA, trying to help build a grassroots campaign to block the Viragosa bill to weaken Micra. That's how far back that thing went. And it'd been, you know, 20 years before that. And, uh, you know, that bomb was essentially diffused by, you know, my wife, Jody Hicks, Dustin Corcoran at CMA, um, the leadership in the California Trial Attorneys Association, um, and the funder of the ballot measure. Um, but it, it's, it's leaving the stage hasn't been celebrated in the sense that, you know, kind of with the magnitude that people dealt yep. with that issue you know, in years past. It was always a big, big, big issue in in the kind of inside game in Sacramento and candidate endorsements and where money went and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what the next micro is. I mean, what is the next thing now that's gonna be the, the kind of thing that nobody's ever heard of until they run for the legislature. And then it's the most important thing that they get asked about once they get here.
0: Well, it's interesting. Didn't you mention that that used to be the cutting thing whether or not you were like a liberal or a mod. Oh, moderate. yeah. And my joke was that
2: you could be, you could be a gay environmentalist, like, uh, you know, total, you know, progressive on all these issues. But if you support Micra, you're a mod. And <laughs> so more, I want
0: to know where was Scott Weiner on on Micra?
2: I don't <laughs> know. We can, we can find out. Um, hey, the but, next
1: cutting issue, the next cutting issue, you heard it here first, fire insurance.
2: You watch. Okay, Let's, Okay. does it have an acronym that we can use? No, burn
1: BBB, no, I don't, we'll, we'll, Capital Weekly will not fail that challenge, we'll come up with something.
0: You invented shrimp scam, you can come up with something good for- Absolutely, shrimp
1: scam, I still say is the greatest code word ever, but- um, There you go. But anyway,
0: definitely one year since
1: Scott's passing, God, it's really been amazing. And uh, Paul, thank you so much for your comments.
0: Tim, you too. And we don't know what we're going to do with who had the worst week in California. You know I'm, going to, I'm going to make an executive decision. I'm going to say, we all did. It's been a year without Scott Lay. That's been shitty. That's good enough for us. Okay. We don't have
1: to worst do year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. Take care.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Bye. The Capital Weekly podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.